But as we continue in our Wonder series uh, today, uh, I thought that uh, for, for 26, uh, the, the first 26 years of my life, I had seen more rain than somebody should have in like 200 years of their life. Because of the 21st, 26 years of my life, I lived in the United Kingdom, and it rains a lot there. And so if I never saw another day's rain again, I would have been happy. Like Southern California is my dream. California dream in here, you know, because I, I, I just don't like rain. But uh, this morning, as we woke up and it was raining, uh, it's amazing what uh, home ownership will do to you, right? Because suddenly I looked at the rain, I was like, praise the Lord, it's raining. Because uh, I don't know if you've uh, seen your yard, if you've got a yard, uh, but uh, the last month and a half, it has been pretty parched. Uh, there has been not much rain at all. And I've looked in my yard and uh, there has been uh, cracks that have beginning to open in areas where there hasn't been much grass. Uh, and uh, in the areas there has been a lot of grass, that grass has started to die a little earlier. It's almost like it feels like winter is upon us when you look at the ground when it really isn't. There's still leaves in the tree. And so without water, then the ground cannot really survive. It needs water. And so just looking at my grass and my yard and just some of the dirt there and seeing the cracks opened, it was crazy because I don't think it rained in September very much at all. If it did, it was maybe a couple of days, but not much at all. Uh, and when you live in Maryland, Maryland is normally very green and vibrant, and you don't think of a desert when you think of Maryland. But, but if you've seen the ground lately, then it gives you that reminder. Now, I don't know if any of you have ever been to the desert. Anyone ever been in, in a desert? Okay, so a few lucky few. Now, now you, you will understand if you've been to the desert, the desert is a very different place. It's a very weird place. It, you, you look at the desert and you are amazed how anything can survive in the desert at all. It, it, it's just the, 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 the landscape and the terrain just looks so different. Uh, I, I remember the first time I really saw a desert. I didn't see it from the ground. I saw it from 30,000 feet in the air. I was flying from London uh, to India. And when you're flying there, you, you, you stop in the United Arab Emirates. And so, you know, Dubai and, uh, and all those areas around there. Well, there's lots of desert around there. So, so we landed in a place called Muscat and we got out and it was like 105 degrees, but it was the dry heart. So it really felt like 60 degrees, right? That's what people live in dry areas. It's, it's 120 degrees. It doesn't feel it though like no it feels it and uh and so we got out on the plane and you could just see desert for miles and then we stopped and we got on our plane to go to India and uh, I can't re exactly remember the route it take but I think we went over a little over Saudi Arabia and I'm looking down from 30,000 feet in the air and you see the land uh, as clear as if you were just 100 feet in the air uh, and I'm looking around and there is nothing it's the desert there's nothing at all. You see a few little roads here and there. Then you'll see a little car uh, or a truck just going along the road once in a while. But there's no towns. There's no villages. There were no lights. You didn't see people very much at all. There was nothing there. Why? Because it's the deserts. Nothing survives in the deserts. And the things that do survive, it's very rare and far and few between. When you physically see the desert, it's hard to imagine how any life can survive. 
Because the whole place seems like it's gasping for water. It's like you've been outside in a 105 day and you've been out in the yard and you've been cutting the grass or you, you've, you know, you've gone out for a run and you've come in and suddenly you're like, water, I need water. That's what the desert feels like. When you're there, it's gasping for water. Now compare the deserts to a place like the rainforest and you have two extremes. One place is vibrant and full of life. The other place is dead and dormant. However, if you notice these two places, both of them are very hot places. The, the rainforest is a very hot place to be. The desert is a very hot place to be. But the difference between the two is this, is that one place has an abundance of water and the other is starved of water. That's why it's called the rainforest. It rains a lot in the rainforest. And because it has water, there is life, there is vibrancy, there's plants, there's trees, there's rivers, there's animals. Some really creepy animals by that as well in the rainforest. In the deserts, it's very hard to find any signs of life at all. And the reason is this is because water is essential for life to happen. Water sustains life. It brings life, it renews life, it revitalizes life. It even at times brings back to life. If you've got some plants that are dying and you're like, they're done, you put some water in them. It's amazing how those plants come back to life. That is the power of water. That is what water brings. It brings life. Wherever you find water, you will find there are signs of life. Therefore, it's no surprise that in the Bible, the Bible often refers to the Spirit of God as water. That if God is the giver of life, and God breathes life into existence, then it's no wonder that the Bible uses the analogy of water as the Spirit of God. Wherever the Spirit goes, there is life. And there's a story in the Bible, or there's this, 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 this picture in the Bible that's found in the book of Ezekiel. That, that gives us this picture of, of water and what water can do and, and relating to the Spirit of God and what the Spirit of God can do. So if you have your Bibles, if you want to turn to the book of Ezekiel, if you can't find it, then it's going to be on the screen. But Ezekiel is a very strange book. If you ever read it, you're like, whoa, what's going on? It's like, it's kind of like a, just a weird, like I'm tripping out in a 70s, you know, like disco kind of mode. Because it's like, what is going on in this book? There's lots of strange things, really hard to determine and understand, but this is what we know about Ezekiel. Ezekiel lived in a time where spiritually Israel were dead. That there was this dead and dormant kind of spirituality that spiritually they were like living in a desolate land. You can see this because he had this vision one day of some dead bones in a valley and then suddenly he spoke to the bones, they came together and then God breathed life into these bones. Well, God gave Ezekiel this vision of a temple that God was rebuilding. And and, and the temple had been destroyed and and God was showing Ezekiel that I'm going to rebuild my temple. And so he showed him all around this temple that God, it was this glorious temple that God had built. Uh, And Ezekiel was, was like, this is amazing. And then God shows him the vision 
this vision that's found in Ezekiel chapter 47. And it's right at the end of God showing Ezekiel this, this, this vision of this rebuilt temple. And this is what it says, Ezekiel chapter 47. In my vision, the man brought me back to the, to the entrance of the temple. There I saw a stream flowing east from beneath the door of the temple and passing out to the right of the altar on its, on its south side. The man brought me outside the wall through the north gate and led me around to the eastern entrance. There I could see the water flowing out through the side, south side of the east gate. So water's coming out underneath and it's starting to flow. Then it says this, measuring as he went, he took me along the stream for 1,750 feet and then led me across. The water was up to my ankles. He measured off another 1,750 feet and led me across again. This time the water was up to my knees. After another 1,750 feet, it was up to my waist. Then he measured another 1,750 feet, and the river was too deep to walk across. It was deep enough to swim in, but too deep to walk through. He asked me, have you been watching, son of man? Then he led me back. Along the riverbank, when I returned, I was surprised by the sight of many trees growing on both sides of the river. Then he said to me, this river flows east through the desert into the valley of the Dead Sea. The waters of the stream will make the salty waters of the Dead Sea fresh and pure. There will be swarms of living things wherever the water of this river flows. Fish will abound in the Dead Sea for its waters will become fresh. Life will flourish wherever this water flows. Fishermen will stand along the shores of the Dead Sea, all the way from the Engedi to the Engelium. The shores will be covered with nets drying in the sun. Fish of every kind will fill the Dead Sea, just as they fill the Mediterranean. But the marshes and swamps will not be purified, they will still be salty. Fruit trees of all kind will grow along, uh, along both sides of the river. The leaves of these trees will never turn brown and fall. So for those who, don't like, who love fall and love pumpkin spice and all things nice, you don't like this river, right? Because there's no fall. There will always be fruit on their branches. There will be a new crop every month. For they are watered by the river flowing from the temple. The fruit will be for food and the leaves for healing. So here, Ezekiel has this vision of this temple. The temple was the place where God dwelt. It's where God met with man. And, and it was in a time when the land was spiritually like a desert. It was dead and dry. And as God was rebuilding it, God shows Ezekiel this vision of a stream coming under the door of the temple. It starts with a small stream, just a small flow of water coming under the door, and then it flows out to the southeast. And then the waters start to flow, and as they start to flow, it starts to come up to the man's ankles. 
And then he walks a little further and measures out, and then it comes up to his knees. And then he walks another 1,750 feet, and it comes up to his, his waist. And then from his waist, he measures out again. And suddenly, the waters are so deep, you can't walk in it anymore. You can only swim. The waters are suddenly raging. I don't know if you've ever seen a flood, a flood come up. Uh, last week, uh, last, this past, not this Saturday, this Saturday before, we were in Annapolis and I was there with my parents and, and we were walking around and suddenly a combination between high tide, a crazy moon and I don't know, just too many boats in the water. Suddenly the water started ra- rising up and suddenly Annapolis started to flood. And my little boy is like getting really scared. We've got to get out of here. He's like four years old, but he's like, we got to get back to the car. we got to get out of here. I don't know what it is about floodwaters, but we were just watching in amazement as the flood just started to come up and it was getting into, into shops. The power of water when it starts to flood. And this is what Ezekiel saw. He saw this, this river started to flow, started with a small stream, and then suddenly it was this big river. And then God turns to Ezekiel and says, Ezekiel, you were watching the river rise. But did you see what was happening when the water was flowing? Life started to emerge on the banks of the river. Ezekiel turns around and just cannot believe what he said. In this, dark, in this dead and desolate wasteland, suddenly life starts to emerge on the banks of the river. And then the Bible tells us the water will flow to, through, through, the, through the desert. And suddenly there will be life in the desert. And then it will start to flow into the Dead Sea. And it will purify the Dead Sea. Now, I've never been fortunate yet to go to Israel. I'd love to go to the Israel. But all the people I know who have gone to Israel, they love going to the Dead Sea. Because you go to the Dead Sea. Now, in the Dead Sea, the waters come in, but there's no outlet. The water can't get out. The only way the water gets out is it evaporates in the heat. And then it leaves behind this mineral content that's very salty. Now, if you go in the Dead Sea, there's no fish, there's no life because no one can survive in the Dead Sea. And it's very hard to swim because the salt gives the buoyancy. So you just float, you know. So some of you are like, that's my place. That's where I want to be, just floating in the sun. And, but it's so salty. In fact, what they say, they say the salt contents of the Dead Sea is between about 25 and 35% salt. So think about that. That, that, that water that, you, that, that, that is in this sea, th- about 25 to 30%, uh, 35% is salt. Now, to put this in contents, if you go out to Utah and you go out to Salt Lake City and you see the Great Salt Lake, that's, that has about 18%, they, they think, 18% salt in that lake. Now, if you go to Ocean City and you go and swim in that water, who's drinking that water? Anyone? No. You're not drinking the water. You, you go in and you get a little bit on your, uh, in your mouth. And you say, like, I need fresh water. I need fresh water. The ocean has about 3.5% salt. So you can see how salty the Dead Sea is. Nothing can survive in that. Also, it's the lowest point of the earth as well. It, 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 it stands about 1,296 feet below sea level. So it's hot, it's salty, and it's dead. Hence why they call it the Dead Sea. But notice in the vision, the stream from the temple starts flowing through the deserts into the Dead Sea. And suddenly, fish start appearing in the Dead Sea. Life starts to appear. 
The bitter saltiness starts to disappear as the fresh water comes and takes over. In the vision then, Ezekiel said he saw fishermen along the side because where there's fish, you're going to get fishermen. He saw nets drying in the sun. Let me tell you, if you go to the Dead Sea, you will not see one fisherman. Why? Because there are no fish. But now in his vision, he starts to not just see fish. He starts to see fishermen fishing for fish. Then he starts to see that the trees on the banks of the Dead Sea start to grow and there's no more winter and then they start producing fruits every month and it's fruit to eat. New crops grow. The winter will not kill the growth. And there was food to eat from the, from the fruit and then it said that the leaves of the trees were for healing. If you've ever been in the desert and you've walked along the desert, you know you're going to get a lot of blisters. You, you, you know that your feet are going to hurt. You, you know that, 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 that the body cannot always take being in such extreme heat. But in Ezekiel's vision, the leaves start to provide healing for them. All of this because he saw a small stream of fresh water flowing out of the temple. Everywhere the water went, there was vibrant life. That is the power of fresh water. I don't know if you've ever tried this, but if you have like a glass of really dirty water and you put it under the faucet and you just let the fresh water come in, what's going to happen to the dirty water? Eventually, it's going to overflow and come out. And eventually, after time, you'll have fresh water. That's the power of fresh water. So if the temple is the place that God dwells and the water is the spirit of God, then what Ezekiel is showing us is this, that when God's spirit is allowed to flow from the place that God dwells, then life is formed and life is found. The place that God dwells, when the spirit of God flows like water out of it, Everywhere that water goes, life is formed and life is found. Even the dead, dry places, the saltiest of waters, will be full of life and turn from salt water to fresh water. And what I love about this the most in this vision is that this water from the temple turned the toxic water into life-giving water. Then the others... Who, who, who would have died if they would have drank the, the water of the Dead Sea, now could drink the water of the Dead Sea and receive life. That is the power of life-giving water. So if God in, is in his temple and the Spirit of God flows like water out of the temple, then this is what I want to know. Where's the temple? Where's the temple? And what could I do to redirect the water so that it flows into my neighborhoods and my places of work so that the spiritually dead and starved can start to receive the life-giving water that the Spirit brings so that they can receive life? I want to know where the temple is so that the salty places can become fresh again. I want to know where the temple is so that the dead places can become vibrant and green and full of life. So where is the temple? Well, the Apostle Paul gives us a clue in 1 Corinthians 3 verse 16. This is what he says. Don't you realize that all of you together are the temple of God 
and that the Spirit of God lives in you. So Paul is saying, it's not the physical temple that the Jewish people look to. He's saying, don't you realize that you together as a church, you are the temple of God? And then he says this further on in 1 Corinthians 6 verse 19, and he's talking about keeping your body uh, uh, pure and keeping your body holy. And this is what he says, don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself. Why? Because your body, your life, your physical nature is the temple of the Holy Spirit. It's the temple of God. Did you know that You are the place that God dwells. You are his temple. Let me say that again, just in case you didn't get it. You are the place that God dwells. You are his temple. It's not a physical structure. It's not a building. It's not a place. It is you. You are the place that God delights to dwell. You are the place where God meets with man. It is you. So then, if you are the temple, the place that God dwells, then do you, like Ezekiel saw in his vision, have a stream coming onto the door of your life that is taking the Spirit of God wherever it may go? Does your temple have a stream of life-giving water? Jesus said this in John chapter 7, verses 37 to 39. It says, On the last day, the climax of the festival, Jesus stood and shouted to the crowd. So now this isn't Jesus just talking quietly to his disciples, quiet little instruction. Jesus is wanting as many people as possible to hear this. So Jesus is shouting and he says this, anyone who thirsts, who is thirsty may come to me. Anyone who believes in me may come and drink. For the scriptures declare rivers of living water will flow from his heart. When he said living water, the Bible says, he was speaking of the Spirit who would be given to everyone believing in him. So Jesus is shouting to the crowd. He says, all those who open their heart and come unto me, I will give you this water. I will give you this living water, this life-giving water that Ezekiel saw. You will receive it. Anyone who believes in me will receive this water. And the Bible says that water is the spirit of God. So if those who believe in Jesus have this life-giving water, then what does that mean? Then this is what this means. Just a couple of things. Number one, it is the Spirit that gives life. It is the Spirit that gives life. You may be in this place today and you may feel spiritually dead. We've all had those moments, those seasons where we feel spiritually dead. But you may be feeling spiritually dead today. This is the solution. It is to come and open your heart to him. For when you come and open your heart to Jesus, that is the very act of drinking. 
You may feel spiritually dehydrated today. And you may think, I I just can't feel God. I, I just don't sense God. I don't know where God is in my life. Well, come and take one of God's Gatorades. Open up your heart and drink and replenish your thirst. It is the Spirit that gives life. The second thing that we know from this story is this. It is the Spirit that purifies the bitter. It is the Spirit that purifies the bitter. Don't try to rationalize unforgiveness or bitterness to someone or something. Don't try to, 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 to go to someone and, uh, and try to, to get them not to be bitter about someone or something. For it is the Spirit that purifies. It is His living water flowing in that will get, a, get rid of the saltiness and the bitterness. The more new water that comes in, the more the dirty water is replaced. And it's the same spiritually. The more of Jesus we can soak in, the more of his spirit we can take in, the more of that living water that Jesus promised that we can drink in, the more the bitterness and the salty and the dirty water of our soul starts to leave us. It's the spirit that gives life. It's the spirit that purifies. It is the spirit that flows out of us. It's the spirit that flows out of us. What is coming out from under the door of your temple? Does your life stop the water flowing? Are you trying to manipulate the water that's flowing? Or are you allowing the living waters of Jesus to flow freely out of your life? See, when we open our heart to Jesus and we come and we taste and see that God is good and we drink of the things that Jesus has given us, of his grace, of his mercy, of his love, his forgiveness, then this is what happens. The spirit of God starts to flow right out of us. It's the spirit that gives life. It's the spirit that purifies. It's the spirit that flows out of us. And then finally, it is the spirit that will transform. It's the spirit that will transform. So often we try to make things happen. We try to engineer things in our lives to make it happen. And it's the same with the spirit. At times we try to energize and maybe we're feeling spiritually dead. Well, I just need to listen to my favorite worship song and then I feel everything is great. And then you listen to it and there's still that emptiness. Or or you've got a friend who is so far away from God and you you try to come up with all these great uh, um, evangelism techniques and and speak to them about God. Maybe you've got a friend who who is a scientist and is denying God and you try to come with, with, with with some Christian science thoughts that 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 that's trying to convince them. And you're trying to transform. It's not a marketing scheme or a church model that will transform people. It's not a church style. We could have the latest style. We could have the best lights and the best fog machine, and we could all dress like hipsters. It doesn't do anything. It's not a church building. We cannot force the water to flow. 
It is only the spirit that brings life. And this is what happens when the river starts to flow. Have you ever seen a river? Rivers make no sense. Why are they so windy? I mean, if they had any sense at all, they would be like a highway, straight to the water. You don't know where a river is going to flow. The only thing that makes sense about a river is it finds the lowest ground and keeps going lower and lower and lower until it finds the sea. When the Spirit of God starts to move in your life, you don't get to decide where it goes. You don't get to decide, well, I want it to go here, but not there. I want it to reach that person, but not that person. The only choice that we get to make is this, whether we will allow the Spirit of God to flow out of us. We will allow the river of God to flow out of our temple. Notice the only action that Jesus tells us to do is to come and drink. To come and drink. That's it. The rest is up to God. And if all we see around is dead and lifelessness, then it's probably not because God hasn't shown up. It may be because we stopped opening our hearts to the one who gives life. In Ezekiel's vision, the water flowed down to the Dead Sea and purified the Dead Sea. But in his vision, he says, but still the swamp lands were still salty. The place where the river did not go still stayed salty. And that's the same in life. We as believers of Jesus Christ, wherever we go, we are taking the Spirit of God with us. And if we allow it to flow, the places that it will flow, there will be life. The places that it will not flow, it still may stay salty. See, I'm a mild germaphobe. Any germaphobes here this morning? Anyone? Oh, come on. You know you guys are germaphobes. If I was to drink from this bottle and then I was to give it to you and say drink from it, how many of you would want to drink my spit? Anyone? See, you're all germaphobes. See? I don't really like drinking from someone else's bottle when they've, they've drank. I don't even like drinking from my sons, you know, and my wife's. It's just like, just don't like doing it, you know? I mean, if I'm like parched and I'm in the desert, then I'm going to do it. But this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to hold it up here and I'm going to do it from there, right? I don't like to share my water. I drink and it's all mine. That's if it's in a bottle like this. However... We're going to try and not get water all over the place here. However, if my water is in a bottle that I drink from, then I'll keep it to myself. No one wants to drink from my water. I don't want to drink from your water. I want to keep it to myself. And this is just like many Christians with the Spirit of God. I want to keep it for myself. I want my church experience myself. I want to go to church and just experience God for myself. I don't really care about anyone else. I don't want to be in community with others. I just want to keep it for myself because I want to be changed by the Spirit of God, but I want to keep it. I'm blocking up the door to the temple, and so the water can't flow out. That's what many Christians are doing. And maybe you're in this place today, and that's you. Maybe you've never even let on to anybody else that, that you mildly believe in Jesus. Because you want to keep it for yourself. 
And some of us, we're like just a bottle of water drinking and we do not want to share. But if you take this water and you pour it into a jug, and I'm going to pour some water for myself, and I'm going to drink of that water, and I'll drink of it, and I'll enjoy it. And it's going to be great. It's going to be life-giving water. And if I've been out in the yard doing yard work and I'm tired, I'm going to drink it and it's going to replenish my thirst, right? But if you say, hey, Alex, can I have some of that water? Say, sure. You can have some of this water. Anyone else want some of my water? You'll be like, yeah, sure. I'll have some of your water. And then I'll give you my water. Because I'm fine with sharing it. Because there's no germs that are going on here at all. I'm good, you know. You didn't get your sloppy lips around this at all. I'm good with that. I'm sharing it. And if you had the same and you said to me, do you want some more water? And you're pouring it from a jug, I'm like, sure. I'll take it. And that's just like the Spirit of God for us Christians. It's there to share. God has given us his water in a jug to share, not a bottle to keep for ourselves. Each of you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. You have the Spirit of God living inside of you. And if you've come and said yes to Jesus, that means that there is living water that is inside of you, that is dying to come out of you. Just like in Ezekiel's vision, the water came from under the door, through the temple, and everywhere it went, it gave life. And you have a choice. Are you going to share it? Or are you going to keep it for yourself? Are you going to give life wherever you may go? Or are you going to say, I'm okay with everywhere else being dead and dark and desolate? I'm going to keep it for myself. So today I want us to do something. I want us to meditate on God. I want us to meditate on the wonder of God. And about what God can do and what God is wanting to do in and through you. What can God do? Where can his river go? Where can his spirit go? Who can his spirit touch? Who who is dead in your life? Maybe it's a family friend. Maybe it's a, 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 another kind of friend. Maybe it's a neighbor. Maybe it's a co-worker. Who is dead that if the water of living water, the living life of God came into their lives, would go from dead onto life? What deserts do you live in that can become full of life? What dead sea is in your life that if the Spirit of God just flows can be purified and there can be life again? Who can the Holy Spirit touch? Which of your friends, family, neighbors, co-workers and associates are in your way that when you let the Spirit of God flow out of you, the river is going to touch them. Who, who is hungry will be able to get fed. Who who needs healing will receive the leaves from the trees and soothe their wounds. All we have to do is let the Spirit of God flow through us.
I'm going to ask you to bow your heads in prayer. There's a couple of things we're going to pray for this morning. Before we close, we're going to take communion in just a moment. But before we do that, there's a couple of prayers I want you to pray. The first one is this. Lord, purify this temple of yours. And let life flow like a river out of it. If we are the temple of the Holy Spirit, then life should be flowing out of us. Everywhere we should go, there should be life that's found. People should be saying, there's something different when you're in the room. And so are people excited when you're in the room? Do things change when you're in the room? Do do people find peace and joy and, and freedom and love and forgiveness when you're in the room? Or does the opposite happen when you're in the room? So purify us, Lord, and let your life flow like a river out from us. Maybe you're in this place today and you are feeling spiritually dead. You are like the desert. You are feeling a little like the Dead Sea, a little salty right now. And you're like, you know what? Before I can let the river flow out of me, I need to receive the river of life myself. And if that's you today, then I want you to pray a prayer. And the prayer is this, Lord, I am opening my heart to you. I am coming to you and I'm asking that you will fill me with living water. Because that's what Jesus says, just come. Come and drink. Come and open your heart if there's unforgiveness, if there's bitterness in your life, if there's sin in your life, it's okay. The Spirit will take care of it. His water will flush out the dirty water in your soul. All you have to do is just come and open your heart to Him and drink of His living water. So let's pray this morning. Father God, we thank You. We thank You that You are such a good God. We thank you that you love us dearly. And this morning, Father, we thank you that you delight to dwell within us. We thank you, Lord, that no longer we have to go to a physical temple and only one person can communicate with you on behalf of everybody else. God, we thank you that, that, that the law was abolished by the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus. And this morning, Father, we just thank you, Lord, that you now come and dwell within us. We thank you that you call us, not just your children, but you call us the temple of God, the temple of the Holy Spirit. We thank you that the Spirit of God is living in us. It is alive. It is fresh. It is life-giving. We thank you for the life that you have given us this morning, God. We thank you that we no longer live in sin and shame and regret and guilt and fear and doubt. But Lord, we can live in love and forgiveness and joy and peace and strength because the Holy Spirit has given us life. So this morning, God, we thank you that you dwell within us. 
And God, we ask that your spirit will come. The living waters will come and purify our hearts. For those of us this morning, God, that maybe are dealing with guilt and shame and doubt and bitterness and unforgiveness and sin. Father, we pray that the Spirit of God will come like a flood and flush it out, God. So that the water within us, the living water, will flow like a stream under a temple door that will flow out and wherever it may go, there may be life and life to the full. We pray as a church, Lord, that we will be known as a church, that wherever we go, we take life with us. That those who were once dead will receive life. Those desolate places, God, will be vibrant. Those who are spiritually dead will be awakened to the Spirit of God. So, Father, we're excited to see what will happen. We invite your spirits. We open our hearts. And we say, Lord, come. Let your living waters flow. We ask in the name of Jesus. That's why your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed this morning. Jesus not only invited us to receive the forgiveness of sins. He not only invited us to receive the Spirit of God, but He also invited us to come and feast at His table. The table that represented the life, the death, the suffering, the resurrection, and also the second coming of Jesus. And so this morning, we're going to, before we close, just gather around what we call the Lord's table. And we're going to come and feast through the symbolic bread and juice. The bread symbolizes his body, which was broken for us. Broken so that we don't have to be broken. We're going to take of the juice the wine that symbolizes his blood that was shed so that we can be covered with the blood of Jesus, which means that every spot and blemish and sin that was on our lives is now no more and forgotten. Our sins are remembered no more because of the blood of Jesus. And we're going to feast and delight in that this morning. And we're going to do it and remember the Lord's death until he comes again. So Father, we thank you for the table of Jesus. We thank you for the death. We thank you for the life. We thank you for the resurrection. We thank you that you are coming again, Lord Jesus. We can't wait for that day, but until that, we will remember and we will rejoice in you. So as we come to your table this morning, we are thankful that we are welcome at your table that it's a place to rejoice and celebrate of all that you've done. We ask in your name today. Amen. Amen. If you want to just get out of your seats and come to your, your right or your left, and there's some communion here, and come and take of the bread and the wine together.
May I ask us to just stand to our feet, if I may. And as we stand, I want you just very quickly just to close your eyes. And as you close your eyes, I want you to just imagine what this week looks like for you. Tomorrow morning, whether you're going to get up and go to work or go to school. Maybe you're going to be at the house and you may go out and run some errands. What would it look like that tomorrow, that everywhere you go, that river starts to flow? And the places that are spiritually dead and like a desert starts to receive the water of life. What would it look like if your co-workers suddenly start realizing that Jesus is Lord? That that place that you go to school, suddenly there's a different atmosphere about the place. For it's full of life, the life of the Spirit. Those errands that you have to run, those stores that you go in, suddenly you start seeing the joy on people's faces. Because everywhere you go, the river of God has gone before you and life is happening. That is the wonder of Jesus. That is the wonder of God. That is what God can do. He's done it before. He did it in first century Jerusalem. He did it throughout Europe. He's done it in Asia. He's done it in Africa. He's done it in India, Australia. He's done it in South America. He's done it before here in North America. And He can do it again. And so, Father, this morning, as we go and leave this place, we thank you, Lord, for the river of God. And we are praying, Lord, for what we see will come to happen. Lord Jesus, that what we believe will come to pass. Father, we pray that your spirit will go before us, that the river of God will flow. Lord, and where there is unforgiveness, there will be forgiveness. Where there is sin, there will be holiness, God. Where there is guilt and shame, there will be no more regrets, Lord Jesus. Where there is depression and anxiety, there will be joy and peace because your river has flowed. And so this morning, God, we thank you for what you are to do. Father, we pray that you will use us and let the river flow through the door of our temple. We ask in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week and look what God will do in your life this week. I'm believing for great things. God bless you.